morning, Psalm chapter number 63. When you get the mail, you open up your mailbox. Some of it's junk mail, just throw in the garbage. Some of it you open up as a thank you note or something like that. You read it, a letter from the kids or whatever. You read it and then you're done with it. And then sometimes there's a letter. It's more official in nature, and it starts a chain reaction that kind of ripples through your life for the next couple of weeks, months, or years. There's something that has to be dealt with. This morning, well, you're free to throw this in the garbage when you're done. If you just say, well, I heard it, and all you do is have this next 35 minutes or so, it won't have been even worth listening to. But if it's one of those things, if you let it be one of those things that starts a series of chain reactions in your life, this could be a very important message for you. If you just let it sit for what is here in this auditorium, it, you'll have very little benefit to it. I'm just telling you that right off. But if you take it with you and let it start a series of chain reactions, it could ripple quite a ways. This morning we're not going to look so much at the words of the verses in this passage. We're going to look at the heart of the verses. As we read it, see if you can't get the essence of this passage. In this chapter we find a man who is completely satisfied with his God. That's what you find. That's the essence of this passage. Listen, try to pick that up as we read here through Psalm chapter number 63. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice." My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. In this passage, David is a man who is totally satisfied with his God. Martin Luther, if you know who I'm talking about, a man who lived in the early 1500s, who basically started the Lutheran church, he was dissatisfied with his life. Because he was dissatisfied with his life, he became a Catholic monk. He tried everything to satisfy that longing in his heart, including 
beating himself with a whip after he had sinned. After doing everything that the church had told him to do, he actually found himself angry with God. Because no matter what he did, he found that he could not satisfy the law of God. God was still an angry judge looking down on him. Hoping to help him settle into the Catholic Church, those who were his authorities sent him on a pilgrimage to Rome where he would be able to participate in all those religious rituals and see all the relics. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the Catholic Church had collected all sorts of things. They had supposedly the stairs where Christ fell under the weight of the cross. They had a fragment of the cross. They had one of the 30 pieces of silver that they was used to betray the Lord. They had a crust of bread from the Last Supper. They had one of the nails that was used to crucify the Lord. One can only imagine the charlatans who were selling these artifacts uh, to the church. Yeah, this is a crust of bread from, who would have saved that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> anyway, they had bought them, they had them on display. And the Catholics would pray over these relics, and in so doing, they believed that it would limit their time in a place that they would call purgatory, kind of a place in between heaven and hell. That's a place that they had made up. So Luther goes to Rome. He comes back inspired by all of the majesty and all of that that was there, but still empty inside. So they set him to studying and to teaching. And of all things, he began to study the Bible. Now ask yourself, what always happens to a person with a hungry heart who starts studying the Bible? It always happens. He began to see that although God hates sin, God himself had provided the answer to sin. And that true righteousness was found in the person of Jesus Christ. The words in Romans chapter number 1 verse number 8 began to ring in his ears. The just shall live by faith. So he begins to doubt all of the rituals and all the things that they were doing with these relics. And finally he puts his faith in Christ alone for salvation. And one of his superiors says to him, if you remove all the rituals and all the relics from a man's faith, what will you replace them with? And he said, Jesus Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. The title of this morning's message, God is enough. God is enough. Let's pray. Father, you know where we, you need to get us, and we know that we can't get there unless your Spirit takes us. And so, in faith we come, not counting on our words or our ability to speak or even understand, but on your ability to take us. Open our hearts, Father, and pour in truth that makes a difference. Please, dear Father, for the glory of the Lord Jesus, Take your children where they need to go today. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
I put my trust in Jesus Christ for salvation as a young boy. <clears throat> the honest truth is I cannot be absolutely sure when I got saved. At age four, I prayed a prayer asking Jesus to save me when we lived in South Carolina. At age eight or nine, I wasn't sure that I really knew what I was doing when I was four. And so at Freedom Bible Camp in southern Iowa, on a hill next to the boys' uh, camp, the boys' uh, dormitory cabins, um, I put my faith in Christ alone. Only heaven will reveal whether I was saved at the age of four or at the age of eight. But what really matters is the fact that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. In the seventh grade in this church, at Vacation Bible School, I surrendered my life to the Lord. Most of you don't remember this. A few will remember the old foyer there, back there, and there was a little cubicle thing that they called the nursery. It was just really a hole in the, in the back wall back there um, on this side. And in, sitting inside that cubicle during Bible school, someone was dealing with me, I gave my, I surrendered my heart to the, and my life to the Lord for whatever he wanted me to do. In my early high school years, I thought I was going to be a computer programmer, and in the later high school years, the Lord called me to preach. I went off to Bible college, and in 19, the fall of 1989, this church hired me back as its youth pastor. I wanted to do right. I was doing the best that I could, and even having what someone might even call quote-unquote success. But I have to say, it was a very rocky road. My mind really doesn't remember dates very well, but somewhere around 20 years ago, everything started to come apart. And with a matter of several, within a matter of several months, there was basically nothing left. Ten years in the ministry, over ten years in the ministry, and there was nothing left. To try to go on doing what I had been doing for ten years seemed pointless. But I'd had no idea how to move forward from that spot. Although I didn't know it at the time, God was working in my life and in my heart. He was working to root out some wrong thinking and set me on a totally different path. I remember this like it was yesterday. There was one point that the whole thing seemed to revolve around. One question. And the question is, is God enough? Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I settled that a long time ago. But was God enough for every other area of my life? <laughs> it may seem strange to you when I say that I wrestled over that question for quite some time. Well, you say the answer to that is obviously yes. How can a man who's been pastoring for 10 years come up with any other answer but that? But I wasn't looking for the pat answer, do you know what I mean by that? I wasn't looking for the answer that's just so obvious. I was looking at my life. I was looking at the ministry I had and everything that I had done up to that point. And all of it said, God and this, that, or the other. 
that's enough. God and this, that, or the other was enough. So I wrestled. Would I live the God and life, or would God alone be enough? I don't remember how long I wrestled with this, but I do know I finally decided that there could be but one answer. If God alone isn't enough, then Christianity is a fraud and should be given up totally. But if God is enough, then my entire life should reflect that fact. I decided at that point, it's been nearly 20 years ago, to agree with what the scriptures had clearly taught, that God is enough. And I began to analyze my life and make decisions based on that one fact. God is enough. Now, no doubt there's still much in my life that needs change and pieces of my life that don't reflect this belief. My guess is that you can see those probably better than I can. But I have to say, after nearly 20 years, I have found it to be true. God is enough. He is more than enough. If you take away all the things of life, all the things, what will you fill it with? Jesus Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Now this is a question that has to be answered in your heart this morning. Not with a pat answer, but with a full look at how your life operates. The things that you do, the decisions you make, the stuff that fills your life, is God enough or not? Now, I'm telling you right now, if you have not already wrestled with this question for at least a length of time, then you are not prepared at this moment to answer it. This takes some serious thought. You're going to have to get on your face before God. You're going to have to take a thorough look at your life by the Spirit of God before you can stand where you stand and answer that question, Is God enough? You're going to have to do some serious soul searching. You say, boy, the question is kind of hard to get my mind to wrap around because it affects every aspect of my life. How does a person even know? Believe me, I understand. I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this. So let's see if the Spirit of God will shed some light on it so you're not grappling in the dark like I was 20 years ago. Let's see if we can get a little bit of a handle on this so that you can understand. And and when you wrestle, you're wrestling with a clearer thought in mind. I find that sometimes it's when you don't understand something, it's easier to look at something that you do understand in order to understand what you don't understand. That's what an illustration is. Taking something that you do understand to help you understand what you don't understand. So this morning, let's shift gears without changing directions. Let's talk about love. 
we all understand this pretty much. I'm an old hand at this, I have to say. I have worked with teenagers my entire life and college students my entire life, and I raised four of them as well. I understand this whole love thing. I will not give you the illustration about Macy. Um, I'm saving that for Tuesday in PCL. Uh, they'll, they'll get the inside scoop on Macy and this whole deal. Um, but I have a lot of experience in this realm. Let me show you how this works. Take a teenage guy. If a teenage guy says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive across town to see my friend, he may do that because he wants to drive his car. Okay, he likes to operate a car, so he may drive across town to see his friend. But when you hear a teenage guy say, I am going to drive to, I'm going to go to Oklahoma to see my friend. Mark it down, there's a girl there. <laughs> it may be the sister of the friend he's going to go see, or maybe that girl goes to the church where his friend goes, but you mark it down, a guy will drive across town to see his friend. He will walk to Texas to see a girl. Just mark it down. That's the way that it works. We all understand this. There's a girl, when there's a girl involved, it changes things. I can remember getting into trouble in my early years as a youth pastor. We had a kid who was in college. I w we all went on a college trip. When we got back, I'd just gotten back from the college trip. We didn't see this kid the entire time. Man, this guy's dad was so mad at me. After church, he actually took me in a room and chewed me out after church. Now, let's take a quick aside here, okay, just so we understand these things. What I, told, what I said is what I'm going to tell you now, and you won't even understand why this guy was upset. There are things in the Bible that are very pointed. There are things in the Bible that are true, and when you say them, they cut, and they're, they make people angry. If I say something from the word of God that makes you angry, I'm sorry, but so be it. That's the job I have. Okay, and when God says it, that's the way it is, and we don't meet, beat around the bush on these things, okay? So if you get mad at me for something that the scripture says, we're just gonna have to be mad. That's all there is to it. But if I give an illustration or the way I say something irritates you, say something to me about it, because I guarantee you it was not meant to irritate. The word of God may make you mad, but I do not ever intentionally say anything to make people mad. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? The devil likes to irritate people, and so if this ever happens, make sure you bring it to me so that I, I guarantee I'll apologize. Unless it's what the scripture says, I guarantee I will apologize because I will have not meant to offend you with my words. Okay, does that make, are we clear on that? Anyway, this guy was super mad. What had happened was, when I went on the college trip, you have to understand, if you've ever been to college, anybody who shows up on campus from back home is like your long-lost brother. You, you want to, they're just like your very best friend because you're so lonely there. So I show up on the campus, and we didn't see this kid at all. Minutes at a time, and then he was gone. We were there for several days, minutes at a time, and then he's gone. Well, come to find out, he'd met some girl down there. 
I found out about that. Okay, I'm an old hand at this. I understand completely. So when I came back home, I mentioned the fact that he hardly even saw us because he's found this girl. Oh, the dad was so mad that I had mentioned that. Look, aren't we all realists here? Help me understand why that would happen. When you got a girl, the youth pastor is all, <laughs> he's nothing. We understand how this all works. Now, we understand love. A guy meets a girl, and when he does, he's done for. What do they call it in Bambi? He's Twitter-pated. How many understand that? We all understand that. He's a done for. Okay. Do you remember those days? For those not experiencing it, it seemed goofy or weird. But the, for the two that are in love, it is all-encompassing. All that they need is each other. You put them in a large crowd at a football game. The people are there, the game is being played, but it doesn't really matter to the couple. They are lost in a world of their own. You put them at Yellowstone Park. They see the sights, but all of it is overshadowed by the beauty of their love for each other. It doesn't matter if you put them in Adventureland or on a park bench. Just let them be together. Do you understand this? Steak or macaroni and cheese, same difference. A mansion or a shack, who cares? A chauffeured limousine or a rusted out Yugo, it doesn't even matter. They have found their true love and everything else is immaterial. We all understand this, and it entirely explains the statement, God is enough. We find everything in him, everything that matters. Everything else is neither here nor there to us, because it all is found in him. God is enough. God is enough for your daily life. There's no need to fill your life with all kinds of events and hobbies and activities or things that give you some sense of fulfillment because God is enough. Sure, you participate in these things as long as God can participate in them as well, but they are merely background. You have no need of them. If God would be displeased with them, they'd be out of the question. But God is enough. And as you participate in these things of life, you keep them well out of your heart because that belongs only to God. God is enough for your life. God is enough for your emotions. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God is enough for your emotions? We like to pour out our burdens to anyone who will listen. Not because they can help, but because they like the sympathy. we like the sympathy and the comfort that they give. We form support groups to help us be emotionally stable. We look for peace and love and joy in all kinds of places. My friends, is God enough or not? Those other things are not bad in and of themselves, but they shouldn't be basic, they should be basically immaterial. Because God's enough. 
God says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the, such, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Now ask yourself, who could add anything to that? God is enough for your emotions. My friend, God is enough in your problems. I know that we like to scheme and plan and work and manipulate to try to bring the solution to the problems that we face. But if God is really in our lives, what good are they? What could my scheming actually profit in a situation that God is in control? What good is my plan when God already has a plan. If you have God, you don't need anyone or anything else because God is enough in your problems. Did you know that God is enough at church? I believe this is one of the toughest areas to deal with. Is God enough at church? You say, that sounds like a really weird thing. For, merely, for many, God is merely a backdrop. Think of it this way. Some guy has two tickets to Adventureland. Some girl hears that he's got two tickets to Adventureland, and she wants to go to Adventureland. So she works it around to where he asks her. You know how this works. She, he asks her to go to Adventureland with him. So they go. Why is she there? Now, in our first situation, remember this true love, Adventureland is the backdrop, and each other was the focus, right? But in our second scenario, when she asks him to go to Adventureland, because she wants the tickets, the guy is the backdrop, and Adventureland is the focus. Do you understand this? It is totally backward, and this is how much of the work that is done in churches across the country is done. God is merely the backdrop to what we're doing. People sing in the choir because they like to sing. People teach Sunday school because they love to teach. People work in the ministries because they like the feeling that they get for doing it. And God is merely a backdrop to what they enjoy. My friend, this is all backward. So it's why so often our services and our Sunday school classes and our ministries are flat. God is not supposed to be the backdrop. He is everything. And everything we do is focused in Him. We love Him and everything else is the backdrop. My friend, God is enough at church. You must come to grips with your answer. Is God enough? This is not something that you can answer as you sit in your pew at this moment. It is something you're going to have to get on your face before God and say, have I decided that you are enough or are you merely a backdrop in part of my life? Have I got this relationship with you or is it just kind of so-so? 
Is it God and or God alone? Now let me give you three very quick thoughts here as you deal with this. Number one, God is always enough. Remember when you used to sit at the kitchen table for breakfast and read the cereal boxes? They had all kinds of games on the things. And you, once you play the games, and you start reading through the rest of the cereal box. And all the cereal, I don't think they say them anymore, but all the cereal boxes used to say the same thing. They would say, packaged by weight, not volume. And then it would go on to say, some settling may occur during shipping and handling. What that means is, they made the box too big so it looked like you were getting more than you were actually getting. The box, when you get it, if you looked in it when you opened it, was only half full. Some settling of contents may occur during shipping and handling. In other words, we're selling you a big box and giving you a half box because nobody reads the volume, the, the weight down at the bottom, okay? God is always enough. He is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If you find any space, it is because you have something else added in your heart. There is no settling out of Jesus Christ. He fills you full. And if you have an empty spot, it's because there is something else in there settling out. God is always enough. Number two, don't let your relationship slip away. Don't let your relationship slip away. I won't ask for a raise of hands because there probably would be very few raising of hands here. But if I asked you how many of your relationship with your spouse looks like what I described early on, that's what it looks like now. And I think there would be very few rays of hands because our marriages do not look like what they did when we first got married. When the Super Bowl is on, the wife better be quiet. The couple no longer lives in the shack, but now the house has the focus. What they eat now, it used to be it didn't matter, steak or macaroni and cheese, what they eat now is a big deal. What happened? It's easy. They lost their first love. They lost their first love. Now on the human side, this is a tragedy. We have great hobbies, we have beautiful homes, we eat good food and have lousy marriages. We have not allowed our first love to stay. We have let our first love fall away and it would behoove us to do whatever it takes to get it back. We should have never let that first love go in our homes. We're, what you see in the nation today is a result of what I'm speaking of. The breakdown of the home is what's caused the breakdown in this country. And God's people have allowed their first love in the, 
for each other in their wife, husband-wife relationship. They have allowed that to fall away, and buddy, we better get back to where we were supposed to be. You should not have ever let that first love get away from you, and you'd better do whatever's necessary to get it back. But this is exactly what Revelation says about the church at Ephesus. It is easy to let that love slip away or be replaced. He says, you have, gives them all these things that they'd been doing right, says, but you have lost your first love. And our relationship with the Lord is not one of him and being enough. It is one of God and this and that or the other. And this is a definite, serious problem. Guard that love. Focus on God's love. Do not let it slip away. And number three, first love seems foolish or silly to others. First love seems foolish or silly to others. I think all of you, if you're out of the age of the youth group, can remember that first love. You can remember when you first met that girl, that boy. You can remember when you got engaged. You can remember those early years of your marriage. And everybody, what did your little sister say about that? Yuck. <laughs> and the old people around you, they rolled their eyes like, oh, brother. And so your friends complained. I will tell a story on Macy. This is not the other one. I'll tell this one. Right. Last year, last fall, Macy complained. Kelly spends all of her time with Will. And I never get to see him. Her. I never get to see her. Kelly spends all her time with Will. Well, now she has a friend. <laughs> Kelly wrote, Macy, I never even see her anymore. <laughs> because now she's spending all her time with this, I call him Jazzbo, but anyway, <laughs> told another story. We understand this, do we not? And your friends say, what are you doing? You're spending all your time with that girl. You know what that meant to you when your sister said yuck and people rolled their eyes and your friend said, what are you doing? It meant that to you. Why? Because you had found the one that you love and they were enough. And it didn't matter what anybody else thought about it, right? My friend, when you find out that God is enough, some people are going to say, yuck. And some people are going to roll their eyes and say, why are you so committed? And other people are complaining, why don't you do, 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 do? You know what it ought to mean to you? That. Why? Because you have found the one that you love. And he's enough. God is enough. Have you, can you answer that question? Can you get on your face before God and say, are you enough? Have I got something else tacked in there with you? Is my relationship a God and or God is enough. For some of you, you still may be at square number one. 
you're not even sure that God is enough to even save you. Let me speak to you for a moment if you have never come to Christ. Here's the deal. You have a sin debt. It's that simple. You sinned. No denying it. Any person in their right mind would not deny the fact that you sinned. All of us have sinned. So you have a debt. The debt has to be settled. There cannot be unpaid debts in God's economy. The debt has got to be settled. So either you have to pay the debt or somebody else. If you pay the debt, which is legitimate, if you want to pay the debt, you're welcome to do so. That means an eternity in hell separated from God. That's the payment. That's what's owed. And you have every right to do that, to pay the debt yourself. It's your sin. You can pay it. Take you eternity to do that. You'll never get it paid off, but you have the right to do that. The only other option is to have someone else pay it for you. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. God the Father sent God the Son to pay that debt. It's got to be paid. He knew that it would take you forever to pay it, so he sent his own son to do so, to pay the debt that you owed. Now, is God enough? Is God enough? If God is not enough, then what was the purpose of the beating of the, with the cat of nine tails? If God is not enough, what was the purpose of sweating great drops of blood? If God was not enough, what is the purpose of the crown of thorns? What was the purpose of the nails in Jesus Christ's hands nailing him to the cross? What is the purpose of the spear in his side? If he is not enough, what value does the crucifixion have at all if it wasn't enough? My friend... It was enough. God the Father raised him from the dead. After they put him in the grave, God the Father raised him from the dead, signifying that your sin had been paid for. If it's not enough, then why do any of it? But if it is enough, why won't you trust him? Why are you looking to add to what he has done? My friend, God is enough Jesus Christ's death is enough to save you. Won't you put your trust in him? God is enough. Do you know it? Do you live it? God is enough.